Welcome to From Skirts to Scrubs. I'm Alicia. And I'm Charlotte. And we are two medical students trying to figure out our place in medicine by looking to the past and to current events to try and understand the impact they have on us as women in medicine and women in general. Yeah. And you can find or follow us on social media. Our Instagram and our Facebook are at From Skirts to Scrubs. Our Twitter is at FSTS underscore podcast. And you can also check out our website more information on our episodes, our show notes, our sources, our merch, and more at fromskirtsandscrubs.com. Yes. And you can also subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a rating and review. And Apple Podcasts is the best place to do that if you are interested. Yeah. And I'm here to welcome you back to episode 33. I'm here too. Yes. We're both here to welcome you to this episode. (laughs) Don't forget about me. I didn't forget you, Alicia. (laughs) So if you are a human being living in the 21st century, as you probably are, then you've heard of diet culture, which is what we'll be talking a little bit about today. But I I do want to say before we get into it, that if you have an eating disorder and talking about dieting can be triggering for you, then maybe just go ahead and skip this episode for the week and join us again for episode 34. Yes. Take care of yourselves. Yes. But for dieting, so there are many diets out there, probably more than you could possibly imagine. And we're not going to talk about all of them today because that would just be impossible. Basically, today I want to talk about the connection between nutrition and women's health and just like overall health in general. And we'll be talking about some diets that aren't the greatest and also talking about diets that are pretty great and you just look into as well as diving into the history of these diets a little bit. Um, I also want to say that I'm not talking about dieting in the realm of body image. If you diet for those reasons, I'm all here for it. But today we're specifically talking about dieting in the realm of medicine and why what you eat can have a positive or negative effect on your health. Before we get Mm -hmm. started, Alicia, what do you know about nutrition and health? I think that there are a lot of diets out there. And I think that diets, if you phrase it that way, often can be confabulated with fads, like different Mm -hmm. dieting fads that come along. And I think there's a lot of media and marketing that goes into marketing diets to different people, specifically women. That's Mm -hmm. like a big thing when we're thinking about healthy or unhealthy or questionable healthiness of diets. It's important to remember the overlap between nutrition, dieting, and health. Mm -hmm but it's hard to get trustworthy information about any of those things. And so going to your doctor is always really helpful, but something I will say that I've at least noticed as a medical student is the nutrition education that we get. I mean, I got a couple lectures on nutrition. Mm -hmm. It definitely wasn't super robust. And so I think that's something that is pretty interesting because I wonder if like that's going to be all I learn about. And I have to supplement my in-class learning with other knowledge so that I can provide patients with useful information. Or if throughout my career, I just gain more and more. Yeah, for sure. But okay, we're going to talk about some um, diets and some fad diets today. So let's just jump into it then. Let's do it. Alicia, we're going to start with some statistics for you. So All right. these are from the CDC um, in 2019, which is um, like three years ago. That's crazy. So 
of women over 20 years old, 41.5% of women in the United States are considered obese. 45.2% of women over 20 have high blood pressure. And the top three causes of death in 2019 were heart disease, cancer, and stroke. And these numbers are important to mention mainly because of their relationships to the food we eat and how that influences disease and bodily processes. For example, we know that obesity has negative effects on the body for various reasons. High levels of adipose tissue, which is the medical term for the fat cells that make up when you gain weight. Adipose tissue and high levels in the body can result in a release of various factors that affect your body's metabolism, which is the way it creates and breaks down energy. And a lot of that is from the food you eat. And this can lead to other diseases such as hypertension, diabetes, heart disease. It can even lead to higher estrogen levels in women. And these are all problems that go back to those numbers of women who have hypertension and the leading causes of death for women being heart disease, cancer, and stroke. And these can be tied to obesity levels, which can be tied to the types of food you're eating. And even if obesity is not a factor behind those diseases, the food you're eating directly can affect your hypertension, your heart disease, your risk of cancer, et cetera. And many of these health concerns can be curbed by lifestyle changes because if they're affected by the foods you're eating, then by changing the foods you eat, these can help in treating these diseases, or at least in being a little more preventative towards them if you're more prone to those diseases. So that's why we're going to talk about diet today. And we're first going to start off by talking about diets that are not really recommended. So I know you already mentioned fad diets, Alicia, but more specifically, do you know any diets that come to mind that you would view as like not things you'd recommend to a patient? Ah. I think diets that cut out entire food groups mm-hmm. uh, are not good. So like full liquid diets, I'm like, you, the body is not meant to live on a full liquid diet. Mm-hmm. You should not be, unless it's medically indicated for you because you've had some complication. Yeah. You should not be only in taking like smoothies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So basically if you are cutting out too much of something, that's probably not a good diet. So here are a couple examples of not so great diets. One is the carnivore diet where you only eat meat and dairy, <laughs> like strictly oh. meat and dairy, no vegetables, no fruit, no grains, meat and dairy. Um, this yeah, might be the worst diet you could possibly have due to its extremely high levels of saturated fats, which results in extremely high cholesterol levels, which causes all of the previous problems I have mentioned. Not great. Also the keto which is a very like popular diet. I would say it's very like trendy to be like, oh, I tried keto. It's a diet that focuses on high fat, moderate to low protein levels and low carb levels. And it does have very rapid results. It has rapid weight loss, but it doesn't really work because once you end the diet, all that weight goes exactly back to where is lost from. And if you look at like the quote unquote health benefits, people say that, oh, it helps with cancer and diabetes if you do keto but it's not a definitive option for those diseases, especially because that diet is on very short term. You can't live on a lifestyle of keto diet. You know, it's only for a a while until you stop. So really the health benefits don't follow through because as we'll see later, like the good diets versus the bad diets, really um, one defining factor I would say between them is how long you do them for, which is going to affect diseases that are just like, oh, better now after a week, you know, and also like cleansing diets, like said, like a juice 
diet or a lot of like the pyramid scheme diets where they focus a lot on cleansing the body and saying that if you buy these products that can supplement your meals and that can help you clean your body, not a good sign for a diet. Um, one, you should never have to supplement your meals with something that's not food in a diet because your body needs food. And you never have to clean your body. Your, your body literally is equipped to clean itself. There's entire organs where their job is to clean your body. Organs like True. your liver and your kidneys. Like your kidneys' sole job is to, I mean, they have a couple other little side jobs, but like the sole job is to clean your blood. So you don't need other products to do that for you. You can do things to help those organs take better care of your body, like drinking less alcohol because alcohol is damaging to your liver and your liver is very, very important. You don't need to substitute something for them. Also, a lot of like cleanse diets and diets that you might like buy products for, they focus a lot on bowel movements and like your digestive systems by trying to flush your digestive system, which is also not a thing. You don't need to clean your GI tract. Like you don't need to clean it. It operates fine on its own. And if you find that your bowel movements are drastically changing because of a diet, that's probably not a good idea. You should not be losing weight and trying to better your health by everything coming out of your body on that end. It's just not how it works. That's super bad. Yes. No, 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 no. And um, also there has been like a lot of companies that sell these types of diets will say like, oh, it's been proven by science, but there are no randomized controlled trials that show this is true. And in the scientific world, like that's the gold standard. Like you have to have a randomized controlled trial study in multiple occasions that are repeated to show that something is actually effective and nothing has been shown to show that these types of diets are actually effective. Also, another part of these diets is that it focuses um, a lot on eating less calories and cutting out sugary foods. So people say like, oh my God, I like lost so much weight. I feel so much better. It's so much cleaner. It's like, it's actually working. But in reality, you can always just cut out sugary food on your own. You can cut out processed food on your own and you can feel better that way. You, there's no need to buy additional products or only drink juice or do these cleansing practices um, to feel that way. So it kind of comes down to like a lot of cleansing diets were almost a scheme as um, opposed to actually trying to make you feel healthier and better. And it also comes around to these are just like keto. And I don't know how many people take the carnivore diet for that long, but these diets are very short <laughs> acting. You're not going to do them forever. They're supposed to be like fast action, like lose weight now type of thing. Like drink this juice. You'll lose weight in three weeks. Do the keto diet. You'll lose weight in this much amount of time. Your body doesn't move that fast. If you're losing weight that rapidly, that should be a concern for you. And then lastly is intermittent, intermittent fasting, which is a very popular diet. This one can be good and bad because it does work very well for people and they live very comfortably with it. And it does help with weight loss. But once again, you have to continue the diet for it to maintain the weight loss. Um, but also gonna have a lot of downsides. One, it can lead to binge eating. So to explain intermittent fasting, it's when you only eat in a certain period of time and then outside of the times you don't eat at all. So some people might stop eating, say at like 8 PM at night and not eat until noon the next day, even if they wake up hungry. And for some people, this can actually lead to binge eating. So maybe they get to noon at their time, they're allowed to start eating and they just eat a huge meal, like more than they would usually eat. And this is not good for your body either. Cause it's taking in way too much and you're not able to process and metabolize those foods, um, at the rate that's best for you. 
Also, if you have a past history of eating disorders, this is not good because it can lead to binge eating. And also, which I thought was interesting, if you are like a early morning gym person and then you also intermittent fast and you're not eating in the morning, this actually is just counterproductive because if you're trying to build muscle and you're not eating in the time around where you're going to the gym, like you literally cannot build the muscle because your body doesn't have the nutrients to do so which I thought was kind of interesting because I've never thought of that, but that's so true. Like you need to eat. That is interesting. I wonder too, if you would actually end up breaking down muscle yeah, because your body needs something to break down. So you would still be losing weight, but you wouldn't necessarily be like breaking down fat. You'd be breaking down protein because actually protein breaks down faster than, than adipose than fat. Exactly. That's why you have to do cardio, like long term, like cardio longer than 20 minutes. Yeah. 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 Because after 20 minutes, you've like depleted the like short-term sugar in your body. Mm -hmm. So then you start tapping into like fat breakdown. Yeah, exactly. Which is what ultimately people want. I will say I will add something to intermittent fasting because I found this to be interesting. Um, I was like, I came up in one of my lectures last year. So then I was looking into it more. And there's been some studies that show that in people with diabetes, mm-hmm. intermittent fasting could potentially be helpful. Granted, do not take my word for this. Yes. <laughs> I am not a nutritionist, but worth looking into more. It's been a while since I first looked at it, but there can be benefits to intermittent fasting in diabetics mm-hmm. because they can improve insulin sensitivity. Oh yeah. That's interesting. That would make sense because insulin is the hormone that your body releases when there's sugar. Mm -hmm. Um, so when you eat a meal, your insulin goes up and it lets sugar get into your cells. But if you have diabetes, like type two diabetes, you have insulin resistance. So even though there's a lot of sugar in your body, your insulin can't react with Mm -hmm. your cells to bring in that sugar. But if you intermittent fasted consistently for a long time, you're kind of training your body to know, oh, at this time I'm going to have a meal. And so it's like, it makes sense to have the insulin and it will release. So I found that to be interesting. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, And it's a great point to put the disclaimer of like, we're not nutritionists and we're just doing the best to provide the information we can from our own research. But we're now going to jump into like the healthier diets. And even when it comes to the diets we just talked about versus the diets we're going to talk about, like these are things you should bring to your doctor and ask them about, and they can point you towards professionals such as nutritionists. Because I will say from the nutrition lectures I received, like I am very impressed by the vast amount of knowledge nutritionists have in the effects of food on your body. Um, I found those lectures very fascinating and like how, and how much I know about disease processes and how they're able to help their patients just by making lifestyle changes. So, um, always talk to your doctor before considering doing a diet that could drastically change your health. I agree. So, but with that, let's get into the diets that are more tested and true for being good for your health. So the first one we're going to talk about is the Mediterranean diet. And this diet's very close to my heart because I studied abroad in Greece for one summer, which does sound so cliche, but truly this diet was so good the whole time I was there. Like so clean feeling when you eat it. It's amazing. And now I think about it, I should probably just do the diet on my own in my life. But the diet consists mainly of things like olive oil, pastas, breads, vegetables, herbs, onion, and only a little bit of meat. So it's a big focus on vegetables and grains and just tiny bit of meat. And 
Of course, I don't even have to ask Alicia to guess their origins of this diet are from the Mediterranean countries. Please don't ask me that. (laughs) Yeah, no. They're from the Mediterranean countries, mainly Italy, Greece, and Crete. And within history, the Mediterranean area, which is all the countries that surround the Mediterranean Sea, which is still a sea today. Um, that's known as the Fertile Crescent within history because of just the Mediterranean, like leaking into the land. Just it's a very they're very fertile lands in their own ways. Like each country surrounding it, whether it's Italy or Greece, the Middle East, Egypt, whichever, they have their own types of foods, and they they were very successful in their crop. So the Mediterranean diet comes from this area, especially because of the fertile lands that led to such great agriculture back in like ancient history. So of course, these rural communities had diets that focused on what crops they were able to grow, which were mainly in Italy and Greece, um, grains and veggies. And then there was also a small focus on seafood, which was loved mostly by the wealthier class because it was expensive as seafood honestly still is today. Um, So the lower class had less meat and more focus on the other parts of the diet. So like I said, mostly grains and vegetables, less meat, a little meat if you were able to afford it. And this can, this tradition of diet continued throughout the Mediterranean, like even as time pressed on, like as Greece became Rome and Rome became like most of Western Europe, the diet was very much the same, despite the cultural influences that the Roman Empire had from its conquered nations. But of course, Interesting. because there were so many like different nations at that time of the Roman Empire, there were other cultural like diets that did influence the Mediterranean diet like here and there. And Alicia, can you guess some of the diets or like some of the like countries that might have influenced diets? Hmm. This could be way off base. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know that like the Silk Road was a thing. Mm-hmm. So people would travel from Europe um, and the Middle East to Asia and accrue spices and things along the way. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't think that that became a big part of their diets, but I'm intrigued to see if those influences come into Europe or were they like mostly kept over there? I don't know. Yeah. So I have a little bit of an answer for you. Um, I'll start with the first nation that like really was influential. The Germanic peoples had an influence in a way. What food did they contribute? They literally eat potatoes. (laughs) Sorry, Germanic peoples. I'm just like, I can't. I have against potatoes now. So I like potatoes, but they're so boring. It's interesting because the food never became part of the diet, but it like was part of the diet for a while, just didn't stay in the Mediterranean diet. So if you know anything about Germanic history, which I don't know, but the Germanic peoples were very like, people talk about them as such a barbaric culture. They're very nomadic cultures. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't have a land that was theirs. They were very motile. So because of this, their diet focused very heavily on what you learn, like elementary school, of like hunting and gathering, like the men go out to hunt and the women stay and gather and like whatever. <laughs> that is very much like Germanic people. So of course, that's a vibe, right? So rather than focusing on like cultivating lands, they were moving around. So their foods weren't as plant-based as Mediterranean was. And because of this, a lot of their foods were focused on, you know, berries, things that you could find in the woods and also a lot of meat, like a lot, a lot of meat. 
And on top of that, if they were able to grow some grain, that grain was mainly used to make beer. So accurate. (laughs) I thought that was hilarious. I had to to include it. So that was like slightly influential. It was in the Roman empire. Like people ate it, Um, but it was more, it sounded like for trading and like the fun of eating a different food than to like actually incorporate it into their culture. Adventurous. Right. So other Germanic people, we also have Arabic civilization. So I think it's a little bit of like, where more Eastern influence could be, even though it's um, Arabic's obviously not the same as like an Asian influence. But the Arabic civilization is much of the Middle East, which when people talk about like the Mediterranean and Mediterranean culture, it does include the Middle East, especially because a lot of like the Roman Empire and Greece were actually parts of the Middle East in ancient history. So when you like think of maps in your head today, they're not they're not the same obviously as maps back then. So Arabic civilizations and cultures did have a large influence on Mediterranean diet since they were Mediterranean and they still are Mediterranean. Yeah. So they introduced foods that weren't able to be grown in Roma Greece. So they brought in foods like rice, oranges, almonds, various spices, which is, I wonder like how much it was influenced, like you said, by the silk road, mm. um, spinach was brought oh. in, um, and much more. So some foods like rice and spinach and spices, like in almonds, nuts are a big part of Mediterranean diet. Like those things stayed in the diet because like they're very clean foods as opposed to the Germanic beer and meat. Um, <laughs> and then lastly, this, this is jumping forward a little bit in history, but, um, the Americas had a large influence on the Mediterranean diet because when Europe invaded. Oh my God, how? Oh, okay. Yeah. So if we jump forward in history a lot, when Europe, various European um, countries invaded the Americas, they came across foods they've never experienced before um, because, you know, the Americas are a completely different realm of the world with different um, cultures and different crops they're able to grow. And there's one food that I was actually shocked and I didn't realize this wasn't originally from Europe because I feel like it's such a staple in the Mediterranean diet. But can you guess like what food was actually from the Americas, like from Northern America? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, corn. <laughs> it, it definitely originated in the Americas, but it's not part of the Mediterranean diet. No, so that was a not. bad guess. It's tomatoes. Oh, interesting. Tomatoes are originally from the Americas and they were brought over to Europe, which I just find crazy because I feel like it's such a staple in a Mediterranean diet is a tomato. And even though I was in Greece, like tomatoes are huge. We like stayed at like a mom and pop bed and breakfast, like kind of place. And I remember they had like tomatoes out on their like back patio, like being sun-dried, like. Yeah. Just- sun-dried tomatoes are, oh my God, such a thing. They're so good. And I just tomato always- sauce. Oh my gosh! <laughs> like, Wait, Mediterranean like ma'am. What? <laughs> the more you think about it, you're like. Wait, tomatoes didn't originate, but apparently they literally have a tomato festival in Spain. <laughs> that's hilarious. Where they throw la tomatina, <laughs> they like throw tomatoes. Yeah, that's crazy. I don't know, and it also just made me think a little bit more of like why learning history is important and like how you have you can have like such assumptions this is like a such a minor assumption that like tomatoes come from europe but it's interesting to like look back in history and be like oh my god i was so wrong about that like and even look at the mediterranean diet of like oh mediterranean people are like a greek diet or italian diet and there's like actually so many influences from various cultures that have like led to that development over time so yeah that's interesting just further proof but enough of the history of the mediterranean diet like what exactly why is it healthy for us now Uh, Well, first is the use of olive oil over other forms of butter. 
And you're thinking like oils, like oils aren't that healthy, but which is true. Like if you cut, if you could cut out oil altogether, like that'd be great. But like cooking without oil sounds very difficult. Um, so the good thing about olive oil is that it's a different source of fat than butter is. So olive oil is like a, is a healthier fat, um, which is why it's the healthier option. And other foods that are in the Mediterranean diet, like nuts and salmon and even avocados, like all of those types of food have those like healthier fats in them, um, which are better for your health. And of course, right. um, other factors of diet, like eating less, re- ugh, eating less red meat and eating less dairy and focusing more on water as a main, be- as the main beverage are incredibly beneficial. And also I'll add another huge part of the diet. Like what you drink is water and red wine. Like those are the two drinks. And out of all the alcohols out there, red wine, people always talk about is better for your health than any other alcohol. It's interesting, but we'll get into that now. But I have some more research to convince you further of Mediterranean diet. So according to Harvard Nutrition, a study looking at 26,000 women found that women who live by the Mediterranean diet have a 25% lower chance of developing heart disease over 12 years. Wow. And they also have a 30% reduced risk of death by stroke over 12 years. Hmm. There's some crazy numbers. Also a Mediterranean diet, you can have a reduced risk of diabetes, type two diabetes. Um, then also a study from the nurses health study, that was the name of the study, found that a cohort of women where there was almost 11,000 women found that me- people who ate a Mediterranean diet resulted in longer living and healthier aging. And this is because I can't remember what episode we talked about this in, but we talked about telomerase in one episode. Was it the Henrietta Lacks episode? Oh, it might've been basically like each time your cells divide, the DNA gets like shorter on the end and telomerase like helps prevent that. But after a while, you can't prevent it from getting shorter. People who study aging theorize that might be why people age. So Apparently the Mediterranean diet can help with maintaining your telomerase and leading you to healthier aging, which I was like, that's wild. So that sounds awesome. But I will say like, so one thing to be aware of when having a Mediterranean diet is that you could end up with too much of a calorie intake, especially because the diet focuses a lot on grains. So if you're eating a lot of pasta and bread and things, you can end up taking in a lot more calories than you're burning, which can lead to weight gain. So it's very important when following the Mediterranean diet to really focus on having a balanced meal, talking to your doctor, talking to a nutritionist about how to have a good like guideline set up for yourself and even setting up a exercise plan that correlates with your diet to make sure that you're not in taking more calories than you're using. And also to make sure you're not overeating one food group over another because there's there should be a balance between the food groups and your nutrition. So next we're going to move on to the vegetarian diet. Which, of course, I'm sure you all know, the vegetarian diet is when you do not eat animal meat. But other animal products are okay. And on the historical side, not eating meat has many origins. So many religions, such as Hinduism, Zoroastrianism, and Buddhism, preach vegetarianism as a lot of isms, as a central part to their Mm -hmm. religion, as an effort to respect all forms of life and have compassion for the living. These beliefs also yeah. are seen in um, ancient Egyptian religions, very strongly based on the idea of reincarnation, because like you wouldn't want to eat someone's grandma who reincarnated as a cow, like just not great. So like eating meat was just not it at the time. 
don't eat grandma. Yeah. There's lots of religions that are based in this and religions like Hinduism, Buddhism, like today, like those are major religions where millions of people practice those. So even today, like it's a major part of vegetarianism across the world. And also my grandma's vegetarian. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I don't know. I said that like it's a rare thing. (laughs) A philosopher by the name of um, Pythagoras. You're so bad at pronouncing. I know. Oh, just murder me now. Pythagoras. He's a philosopher. And of course, if you like what's a middle school, you know he's a mathematician because of the Pythagorean theorem. This man was a big, big into being vegetarian as well. He saw it as the key to peace between humans and other life forms in true philosopher way. But can you guess who came in and ruined vegetarianism in history? Like what group of people? Germanic people? <laughs> no, not Germanic people. The Christians. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So Christianity is a religion that's very much based on the idea that humans are superior to other life forms, which is a stark contrast to religions like Hinduism and Buddhism that focus on a balance between life forms. In the early times of Christianity, not eating meat and living that as your lifestyle was connected with forms of devil worship and heresy. And you could even be prosecuted for it. Like people were like hunted down and killed for being vegetarian. Of course, it's a little crazy. Right. And then we get to like the Renaissance age, like enlightenment. And there's a lot of scientific advancement is the point in the Renaissance. And this is where things get a little out of hand. So scientists at that time started to gather evidence of why humankind were superior to animal kingdom. This was something that further proved, not actually proved, but the scientists thought they were proving that animals just weren't worth anything compared to humans and that they didn't even have souls. And they use this to justify horrific things such as vivisection. Vivisection is when you're dissecting something while it's still alive. Oh. So dissection oh, no. um, is when you dissect something after it's already dead. But scientists would use this to prove why they are allowed to do that to animals and why it was just and also proving why it's okay to eat meat. So um, crazy. So everyone's just hating on vegetarians. And then as you move forward into the 20th century, vegetarianism actually took an upturn during this time. So this would be like in the last 100, 200 years. And this is a lot because of people like Gandhi, where vegetarianism was a central part of his life. And he was very influential to millions of people across the world. And also in the late 1950s and 60s, public knowledge of factory farming got really big. In the 1970s, counterculture Mm -hmm. was all the rage in the U.S. Everyone wanted to do exactly the opposite of what everyone wanted them to do. Vegetarianism was the perfect avenue for that. And also, Mm -hmm. you know, over the past 50 years, animal welfare and ethics have arose to be more a part of pop culture in conversations of people, which has led to a lot of people turning to be vegetarian. And today... Mm -hmm. 79 million people across the world are vegetarian and 5% of Americans are. Pretty major diet for people. Yeah. So there's tons of reasons why to be vegetarian. It's very strong history in the diet. Um, I know many people who are vegetarian, some people for animal rights, some people for financial reasons, which is cheaper than I eat meat. And also people Valid. for environmental effects of that mass farming has on the like world and on animals and on humans too. It has a lot of negative health effects. 
Um, and if you want to learn more about things like mass animal farming, then you should definitely check out some documentaries like Food Inc. is a big one. Like everybody watched that in high school. But I want to talk more about health benefits of being vegetarian. So when you're vegetarian, these are some of the benefits of it. So you're one third, so like 33% less likely to die of heart disease just due to eating less meat and having a higher focus on whole grains, nuts, veggies, and fruits. It also is um, preventative for type 2 diabetes and can also help treat type 2 diabetes. It can help lower your blood pressure and it could also help promote bone health. And one study, I thought this was interesting, Mm. found that meat eaters have a 35% bone loss compared to non-meaters at the same age. So like if you ate meat and I didn't, like you would have 35% less bone than I do. So considering how much meat you're eating could be very important, especially if it's something you're worried about. And they think it's because some meats can cause calcium, which is a major part of your bones, leave your bones. Oh, interesting. Causing an increase in your osteoporosis, like risk. So I thought that was fascinating. I did not know that at all. That's very interesting. That's vegetarianism for you. Moving on to what if you gave up all animal products, like every single one, you're not eating meat, you're not eating dairy, you're not eating eggs, like anything, and you'd be vegan. And where did this start? Well, this history is a lot shorter because honestly, vegetarianism and veganism were very closely tied together in history. They originate from the same religions, very strongly originating from ancient India and Eastern Mediterranean, uh, where religions focus on not farming animals. So when you look up the history of veganism, they developed together. But Mm. um, which I was still disappointed by because I was like, I want to see this separate history, but I couldn't find one. Um, But I think this is because it wasn't until 1944 where a man named Donald Watson coined the name vegan. So there was finally like a name for people who didn't eat any animal product. And this wasn't until 1944. And this was to mainly describe people who don't eat dairy. Um, And then it evolved even farther into not eating any animal product. Um, And it actually is interesting because veganism like really got huge in Britain, like in 1944, mainly because cows, like something like half of the cows in Britain were infected with the disease. And this is why people started to not eat dairy and why this dude was like, we got to come up with a name for people who don't eat meat and dairy. Did they get mad cow disease? No, they had tuberculosis. (laughs) <laughs> that really shook me i was not expecting that yes i'm so shook by that but yeah so anyway that's the short history of veganism but what does right. it mean to be vegan today um like i said it means like no animal products whatsoever but it goes farther than that like no animal products no dairy no eggs also no honey because honey comes from bees and you have to be farmed to get honey so it really comes down to like right any way that an animal could be harmed or taken advantage of to get a product from them would be considered something that you would not do if you're vegan. If you're, and especially if you're a very strict vegan. Um, so what else is required of the diet or like things you should consider if you are vegan? One part is still getting your nutrients because you are mm-hmm. not eating meat, dairy, eggs, things like that, that provide a lot of nutrients that are important for the body. And if you're not eating those products then you miss out on some nutrients and one major one look out for is b12 um so if you're only eating plants you're not able to get b12 and having low b12 no fun you get like anemia issues get neurological issues like it's not 
not good. It's very important for vegans to make sure they're getting their B12 in either through supplements or having like things like fortified cereals or grains. Iron is another important nutrient um, that can be lost, especially because iron is found in a lot of meats. Um, so those are just things you have to look for in like foods such as black eyed peas. Tofu has iron, dried fruit, which I found is interesting because regular fruit, I guess, is iron too, but dried fruit specifically is recommended because you just inherently eat more of it. So you're getting like more iron that way. So iron's especially important nutrient to make sure you're having, especially if you're a woman, because if you're menstruating or if you're any person who menstruates and you lose iron faster and you can become iron deficient quicker than someone who does not menstruate, especially if you have very heavy periods, things like that. Like those are concerns. Um, so always make sure you're getting enough iron. Mm. And something I found really interesting is that technically if you're a very strict vegan, like you really want no animal products in any part of your life, birth control pills are not vegan. Really? Yeah. Apparently they have lactose in them. Why? I have no idea. Okay. (laughs) So if that's something you're very concerned about and you can always talk to your doctor to see if that's actually an issue or not, but there's other birth control options like the IUD or the implant that are completely vegan. I wonder if they would even know about that. I don't know, but apparently lactose in that, which is crazy. That's good to know. It's not crazy. There are random food things you want to consider in some types of medications. So, okay. But what makes vegan diets different than being vegetarian? Well, of course you're not eating any form of animal products. It mainly like dairy is like the big thing and dairy products do have profound effects on health and one being your risk of breast cancer. So dairy products have been found to potentially increase breast cancer risk in women. Mm. And the research can be a little conflicting. Some research says that the high hormones in dairy may lead to breast cancer. Other research says that the calcium and vitamin D may lower breast cancer. Um, So there's a lot of different studies and some of them are pushed by dairy companies. So it's hard to know like how legitimate they are and things like that. There was one study I found was interesting that looked at like a lot of studies over time and came to a final conclusion that women who have two or more servings of dairy compared to women who don't drink dairy have a higher risk of breast cancer when they're premenopausal, which is interesting for premenopausal because breast cancer risk is often postmenopausal when you're later in life. So um, that was one finding. Another finding was that when dairy milk is substituted with soy milk, there is like a lesser risk of breast cancer, but there's still an increased risk. And a lot of this can be because soy can have estrogen in it as well. And a big part of breast cancer risk is having high estrogen levels in your body. And I feel like you'd have to drink a lot of soy milk for this to be the case, but if that's something you're very worried about and want to look into, like there are studies that have looked at soy milk and it's linked to breast cancer veganism like overall has a decreased cancer risk it's actually 14 percent like reduced risk of cancer across your lifetime if you are vegan and then lastly vegans um there's some evidence that shows that it can help lower your estrogen levels which is not only helpful in preventing diseases like breast cancer endometrial cancer hertruism which is like when you grow hair oh, in areas yeah. Or citizen, thank you. I can't say anything. Um, and polycystic ovarian syndrome. So those are all um, diseases that having lower estrogen levels can help prevent. But it also, interesting enough, seems to help women have a more gradual transition into menopause, which I thought was so interesting. Because oh, if you have lower estrogen levels, and as your estrogen drops off as you hit menopause, then it's just a more gradual transition 
as opposed to being very abrupt for some women. So I just told you a bunch of diets, but like, what does this mean for women? Like, how do they apply to women? And it all kind of comes back to the very beginning of when I mentioned things like heart disease, cancer, hypertension, diabetes, major health concerns that kill women every single year. And diets such as Mediterranean diet, vegetarian, and veganism are all great choices to help lower your risk of these areas. And what diet is the best though, completely depends on who you are and what you're looking for in a diet and what's important to you and what major changes you're ready to make or like the costs you're willing to contribute to the diet. Um, those are all factors that you should think about when considering a diet. And I think that kind of links into like discussing a little bit of how we feel about these various diets, Alicia. Let's do it. What are your thoughts on everything we've talked about? That was so fun. I was like, not sure where you were going to go with this episode. So that was a fun time. <laughs> you know, me neither. Until you sit down and you start writing and the words start just to flow in and you're like, yeah. Yeah. I think some things that kind of stuck with me. One, I really loved the like history portions, specifically the Germanic peoples. <laughs> we don't talk about Germanic peoples very much on here. Maybe we should bring them in. We should. I thought that was really funny. I think it was interesting to talk about like the roots of the Mediterranean diet because you're right that it's so like well known and people talk about it a lot and it's known to be like a healthier diet. And then something else that I've just been thinking about too is like we talk about this often, but the language that we use. And I think it's interesting that you know, the Mediterranean diet is called a diet because it's really more like lifestyle changes. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a big part of what's like how it's different from regular diets in terms of people's ability to maintain that like eating Mm -hmm. habit. Yeah. Because if you call it a diet, like diets are things that you start and end. Whereas like lifestyle changes or eating habits are just like changes that you make to your life. And so I find that to be interesting too. Any other thoughts before I'd move on? I guess like in thinking about like good and bad, I am intrigued by that wording too. And trying to like stay away from things that are like binary. Though I do agree that Mm -hmm. like most of the diets that we categorize under bad are like not good for you. Like you shouldn't be cutting out big food groups. But I also think it's hard when patients come to you and they're like, oh, I'm on a keto diet. And you're like, "Mm." you're bad. You would never say that. No, I would never say that. Which are also reasons like to have an open discussion with your doctor. Like I want to try this diet and like speak nutritionist and doing the research and Maybe if that works for you because you like want a certain thing to happen for your body in a certain amount of time, then that's what you do. But yeah, for long-term health effects, it's been shown scientifically through studies that like the quote unquote good diets, like, like you said, it's hard to put a binary things like Mediterranean, vegetarian and vegan diet have been more proven to help for health benefits. They have been but, true. Um, I guess I can move to the next question of like, what diet would you personally lean towards and why? Yeah, I think um I think if I could I would do a Mediterranean diet uh just cuz it seems the most balanced and I really love pasta but and I eat a lot of <laughs> rice in my life but um same. Well, also I think that something that I grapple with is I would love to eat a more Mediterranean diet, but what does that look like in the context of my own culture's food? 
Like, is it possible yeah. to eat a Mediterranean diet if I eat Indian food? I don't know. I don't um, know. That's actually what I was I thinking. Mean, rice about. and chicken. Yeah, I guess not much chicken Mediterranean diet. Yeah. So that's something that I actually was going to look into after this because I think that that's great and like a good lifestyle change to make, but I'm not going to stop eating like ethnic food that I grew up eating right. like, to eat like a Mediterranean diet. I need spice in my life, Charlotte. These I, diets I really, have no spice. <laughs> that's so true. There are a lot of ways you can eat a healthier Indian diet. And like, for example, if you're talking about like Asian foods in general, I mean, like Japan has like one of the highest life expectancies and, and they obviously aren't eating a Mediterranean diet, but there must be like food groups that correlate. And I'm sure someone has yeah. looked into this. It's just, it wasn't it's almost me, like but it's the same food groups, but maybe prepared in different ways. Yeah. Like, and just like different same food group foods, like literally, like it might not be rice but it might be like noodles but the noodles are made out of like a different kind of flour and and so it's still yeah. grain but it's it looks totally different i will add too there was interesting studies that talked about which i didn't mention that it, the mediterranean diet only works if you eat all the foods in it you can't just like you know eat grains and then right. you're like i'm in the mediterranean diet right. you know? like, like you nah, have I'm to do so the there's thing, like the balance you have to do the balance of the nutrients the diet like promises, I guess, because that balance is what like brings healthier outcomes. So yeah. yeah, I wonder if you're able to like bring that balance into various cultures, like foods and traditions yeah. and still consider it to be the same. So yeah, that'd be interesting to look into. Honestly, I agree. Yeah. And I also agree that I would think I would pick the Mediterranean diet uh, mostly because even though I don't eat that much meat when I don't eat a meat in a meal, I just don't feel as full. And I don't really like beans and other like protein sources. Maybe that's something I just have to like grow to enjoy. Personally, I also lean towards the Mediterranean diet. Not that I wouldn't ever try other diets. And I think it'd be fun to try like a vegan diet, vegetarian diet for a period of time. There's actually a like the plant-based food interest group or whatever. And they do like this plant-based challenge, which looked really fun, but I like didn't do it just because it like was over Thanksgiving and I wanted to eat Thanksgiving food, but they like take your lipid levels and your yeah. blood, like glucose levels. And then you do the diet for, I think it's like six weeks or something like that. And then at the end they do your levels again, but then like each week of the diet, you go to seminars, where they talk about how to be plant-based and the health benefits of it. It looked like so cool and interesting. And I was like, Oh, I'd love to try that. And just like see what it would be like but I was just like I don't have the time or the money to like figure out how to eat plant-based right now but oh my god I'm laughing only because so two of my friends last year like we had the same thing at our school it's called the vegan kickstart it was like so it was like oh, an yeah. m4's like capstone project and so he was gonna do oh, the like yeah. lipids before and after thing and it was just yeah. so funny because two of my friends were like, we're going to do the vegan kickstart. Like, it's going to be great. One of my friends was already vegetarian. So she was like, oh, like I can, <laughs> so easy, I can yeah. totally cut out like these, whatever. But then like, I don't know <laughs> what happened. There was just like a lot of cheating that happened like over the course of six oh, weeks. No. <laughs> and then by the end, the one who was vegetarian fully reversed back. <laughs> 
to eating meat. What? <laughs> and they like that is not the diet's intention. And they like fully like worked to avoid getting their lipids checked the second time because they were not following the vegan kickstart. Oh my god, that's insane. That's so funny. So whenever I like think crazy. about that, I just like laugh because I'm like, they utterly failed. In fact, they regressed. And now yeah, she like what? fully eats like meat and everything. She was like, oh the God, first thing I did insane. the day after the kickstart, <laughs> I went to Kroger and I bought salmon and I ate it. <laughs> what? It is so funny. It's like one of my favorite stories about her. That's hilarious. All right. So my last question, because we've been talking for a minute, I'm having way too much fun talking about food. So a common thing you hear from the general public about going to the doctor is like, oh, I don't want to go to the doctor. They're just going to tell me to lose weight or change my diet. What's the point of even going if they're not going to give me solid advice or help? I feel like that's a like a paraphrase of a sentence I hear a lot. And this is hard. It's a hard conversation to have like as a doctor and as future physicians such as Leisha and I, because like we learned that for diseases, like we've mentioned about heart disease and everything, like the lifestyle changes are huge. They're immensely important for disease prevention and treatment. And they're important to be tried first line and also to try with medications like um, together. So lifestyle changes is huge. And a part of that can be dieting or, or working to lose weight. But a lot of people are very apprehensive about talking about those things. So I guess Alicia, like, from your experience, actually being in the hospitals and talking to patients, I guess, actually in person now, like, how do you feel is like a better way of approaching these conversations with patients and talking about changing diets? It's interesting because the way that I've seen it actually happen is different from what I would envision like these conversations to look like. Mm -hmm. So the, the way they've actually played out is it's one, it's really not in the hospital often. It's actually more so in the outpatient setting mm -hmm. with like a primary care doctor, though sometimes it can be in the hospital, but mostly it happens outpatient. It's actually less of us saying, here's things you can do and more so taking a physician's word that it's a necessity. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if you are coming in and the health issue you're coming in with, doesn't really have to do with your weight and like heart health and stuff, then usually a discussion about like healthier eating, exercising, things like that doesn't really happen. Mm -hmm. But when it does come up, it's always like, I think it would be best for your health if you were able to lose a couple pounds, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And that's typically like where I see the conversation happening. And the patients are always like, yeah, like, you're right. I know. And that's kind of the end of that. And it's yeah. really interesting to me um, because if I had to really dive into how I'd like these conversations to look, I think like general big themes would be like, if we had the resources, I'd love for nutritionists to be more involved in patient health. Mm -hmm. I'd also like to gain a better understanding of how to counsel patients on nutrition. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that like from now until like when I actually start practicing and taking care of patients, that's something that I'm hoping to accomplish. Cause like, I would like to know for myself, but for my patients, like what are good things to suggest? Yeah. We're talking about water mm -hmm. and red wine were the two drinks that like yeah. Romans drink. I'm like, oh, I'm curious about like what drinks people consume. Like, are they mm. drinking water only? Are they taking in a lot of calories from other liquids? Because people like forget that liquids have calories because yeah. they don't make you full. 
But like, if you're drinking a sugary liquid, like a sweet tea or a pop, you're going to gain weight. I don't know if there are any other little tricks that, you know, like small things you can do. Cause if you like, well, your comments made me think of two things. One, I was doing practice questions today because I'm currently for audience studying for medical boards exam. I was studying today and a question came up that was talking about a 14 year old girl who she might've been overweight, not obese yet. And she was thinking about taking up exercising more and she has a family history that predisposes her to various conditions. And the question is asking like, what do you say to the patient to start the conversation? Which is like complex because it's a teenager too. And those conversations are more delicate. And the answer was saying that, to avoid using terms that can be viewed more negatively and like more derogatory. So like any answer that had said obese or overweight in it, like was a wrong Mm -hmm. answer because um, those can immediately turn a patient like away from wanting to listen. It can just turn off the listening ears and being like, nope, I'm done. Like you just insulted me, which I totally get. Like I would also be like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Like if the conversation initially made me feel bad and talked about like starting the conversation more like, I have concerns about your health and like where your family history can lead into. And like, I want to talk to you about how to make you feel better about yourself and your energy levels and like get you more active. And like, I thought that was really interesting. So that was my first thought. And then my other thought is how to make those changes, especially like diet changes and food changes, especially living in the US. And this comes from a nutrition lecture I had where the nutritionist gave us like cases and examples of the diet plan that she works with her, with her patients. And I thought they were really interesting because I always imagined like, oh, you go to a nutritionist and they give you a diet and then you do it. And that doesn't really seem like that's how it is. It sounds like it's more like making obtainable goals for yourself yeah. with your dietitian I mean, your nutritionist. And like one was a patient went to McDonald's every single morning for breakfast because it was easy and quick. So their goal for like a certain amount of time was to not go to McDonald's for breakfast and instead like make breakfast the night before or something. So they have it right away in the morning or go out and buy like a pack of bananas so you can have a banana for breakfast, like things like that. I feel like those are the conversations to have with people when you're discussing diet. Like it's not like an all or nothing thing. It's more about like, what are the changes that you can make in your life right now? And like, how can we slowly build on those changes until it's eventually like a full blown diet change, but it's not, it doesn't happen overnight. It could happen over weeks and months, depending on just like your lifestyle and what you're able to do at that time. Totally. Which is a totally different way of looking at diet than I think how diet is discussed every day. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Actually, you bring that up, like remind me of a conversation I had similar but different with a patient who was there for an NSTEMI, like a heart attack. And then I had to have a conversation with him about smoking because he smoked. Mm -hmm. And I had to be like, it is against medical advice for you to smoke. Like I would be not taking care of you if I told you it was okay that you smoked, mm-hmm. but he was so, he would, he like snapped at me. He was like so nice. And then he like got upset Ooh. because I had like suggested to stop smoking because yeah. in the past, so many doctors mm. had told him to stop and he just can't because it's an addiction. It's very hard. I totally understand. It's like the hardest one to quit too. It takes like on average seven times for a smoker to quit. Like it's so difficult. Mm -hmm. And um, he was like very unhappy with me. But then I was like, maybe what you can do is like, you can slow down your smoking or smoke less than a pack a day. Or like something you can do is like, he was saying that he would smoke part of a cigarette and then put it out. Mm -hmm. So like the feeling of like smoking it, like 
still happen, but he would like put it out sooner. So yeah. it would be less longer toxins. for him to get through a pack, for mm-hmm. example. And I had to like really explain to him, like the reason that smoking is so bad for you is because like it, it, he's like, I don't understand my le- my lungs look great. Like I've never had a problem with my lungs. And I was like, no, smoking is the biggest risk factor for all of these heart issues you're having because it causes mm-hmm. your blood vessels to get skinnier and narrow. And he was like, oh, no one's ever told me that. And I was like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what it is. But yeah, so it was like that I had to like, we had to go through small changes, but the tough thing that doesn't tie into what you're talking about, but was necessary is like, for him, I saw him one time in this one hospital stay, but I'm not going to see him again. Yeah. Whereas like a nutritionist could actually make an impact mm-hmm. because like they'd be able to see that person and follow up with them. So. Yeah. And like yeah. saying to smoking, like one of the biggest things for smoking prevention is to talk about it every single time you see your smoking patient. Yeah. It just has proven to help them quit even if it's bugging them and annoying them in the end. But like, I can see how scary it is to like when you have an addiction that's really a huge part of your life and the people are like you need to quit and they're like I don't even know where to start like it's so hard and it's so overwhelming I bet so like you giving small changes like makes it less scary of like oh I can do that like I can make that small little change those are good things to like consider when talking to patients yeah yeah great well hope everyone has some good recommendations on various diets I hope you talk to your doctor, nutritionist, friends, and whoever you need to talk to to talk about your lifestyle changes that can help your health. And with that, I'm just going to leave you all here today. And I'm going to ask you if you enjoyed this episode to subscribe to our podcast on whatever podcasting app works for you. We do not care which app you use. And also, if you have the time, please leave us a rating and review. And Apple Podcasts is the best place for you to do that. Yes. And while you're at it, if you can follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, all of those things. And you can check out our website for more information, show notes. It'll have the sources for this episode um, and more. So you can go to fromskirtsandscrubs.com and check us out there. And lastly, here is to the women who fought for us to be where we are today. And may we do the same for those who come after us. Yay! See you next time. Have a great week, everybody. See you next week. Bye. Bye.